in the light of um, what we believe the Holy Spirit has said to us as a church and the timing, now is the time to get directly involved in outreach and missions and so forth. And with our experience of the last month or month and a half or so, it just has caused me to reflect on certain things and uh, I just want to share some of those things. Each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, leave us a command that we're to go out. Amen? Is that not right? Matthew 28, 18-20, I'll just read them all to you. Parting words of Jesus, so to speak. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Not just about getting decisions, but making disciples. The Great Commission demands we make disciples. Mark 16, verses 15 to 18, And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, Go. There's that word again. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they, meaning the disciples, went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 to 49. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Then the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 21 to 23, Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you, as the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. 
Every gospel gives us a command to go out and be a witness to the whole world, beginning in Jerusalem with the disciples. As we go out into the streets and as we have been experiencing the last month, month and a half or so, the world out there is a sick place. Anybody notice that? The world out there is an extremely sick place. Lives are confused, no stability, under demonic oppression, you name it. As we go out to the streets, whether it's here in our own city, or if it's foreign nations as we will do in the month of December, the scripture teaches us that we are to be completely and totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've got good news for you. The task is over our heads, but we have a helper. The task is impossible for us. You can't find the underbelly of society before too long and you get awfully discouraged about the condition of where people are at. But the good news is this. We have not been left to our own devices. Our own strength and our own wisdom. We heard it, I read it to you in Luke 24 and verse 49. Jesus says, I'm sending you out to do the impossible. But don't go out unless you have this experience. Luke 24:49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. I'm sending you out, but stay first until you are endued with power from on high. You've heard me say this many times. I'll say it again loud and clear. I am Pentecostal and not ashamed of being Pentecostal. Amen. Jesus is sending them out, but he says, before you go out, stay. Now, is he contradicting himself? I'm sending you out, but stay. You tarry until you are anointed, endued, overwhelmed, intoxicated, overflowing with the promise of the Father. We don't do this impossible task in our own wisdom, in our own strength, in our own thinking, in our own planning. It is a work of the Spirit of God. Amen? Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. That's the Greek word dunamis or dynamite, explosive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and as a result, you shall be witnesses. As a result of being endued with power from on high, you shall be witnesses of me, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Even a casual reading of the book of Acts will reveal the supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit as the key to explosive growth in the church. Even a casual reading will give you that impression. 
Some time ago, and I'll just repeat it very quickly here, I, I shared with you four principles that should guide us in the work that we do, whether it's outreach or any work at all. But I'll just briefly mention them. Principle number one, you need to see the big picture. Ephesians 3.11 says God is working according to an eternal purpose. And that eternal purpose is the creation of a people of God for his own pleasure. I won't go through all that teaching again, but the purpose of God is to create a people for his own pleasure. And if you and I don't have that goal in mind, then we will take the part that we play and we'll separate it from the rest of Scripture. God is after the creation of a people. There is an eternal purpose, Ephesians 3.11, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second principle I once taught was this, that the work of God has to be directed by the Holy Spirit. It is God's work, It is not our work, and therefore we are to be spirit-led in all that we do. God is the one who decides when and where to go, not us. We don't plan and ask God to bless. We pray until God speaks and follow his initiative. Is that correct? We don't plan and ask God to bless. We stay in prayer until God speaks and follow his initiative. God, this is God's work. He directs it according as he sees fit. We are not the directors of the work. Principle number three, that once you do have the Spirit's leading and once you do have the Spirit's witness, the work is to be executed with the Holy Spirit's ability, not human strength and not by human wisdom. Utter, absolute dependence upon the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will empower us and the Holy Spirit gives gifts to accomplish His purpose. And the fourth principle was this. You must stand for the glory of God. That's got to be your motive. You are concerned that God is not being glorified. And you need to correct that situation. The reason we do outreach is because God is not glorified out there. And that disturbs us. And we want to see the glory of God take its proper place in history. And that's got to be our ultimate motive above everything else, that we stand for God to be glorified. Now, in the, in the question of outreach, God has anointed and called certain people to be evangelists. They have the gift of an evangelist. If that's you, you have a burden for lost souls. But you also have a supernatural ability to persuade people that they need to meet God. I have discovered that people who are gifted in evangelism, they have, they're called to be an evangelist. Some of them are great public speakers and some of them are absolutely terrible public speakers. Some are good with crowds and some are pathetic with crowds. Some are good one-on-one with people. God has got different types of people. Um, But I I have noticed this, that some people, because they have the gift of it, even though they can't speak very well, they always seem to get tremendous results. Even if they can't speak well, because it's not in their speaking ability anyway, it's in the gifting of God. I remember one time, I'm not joking, this has really happened, where a fellow who particularly was not 
a good speaker whatsoever. And it was a church service going on, and this evangelist was a guest speaker uh, being there. And he wasn't very particular good at communication skills whatsoever. But during the announcements of all times, the announcements. Now, how spiritual can you get in giving announcements? He sensed this presence of God in the giving of announcements and gave an altar call in the announcements before the preaching or the service or the worship or anything in the announcements and people got saved in the announcements. Why? Because he has an anointing. He had a gift for it. The guy would catch fish when he wasn't trying to catch fish. He just had a call and a supernatural call of God to do that. There are people who are gifted to sow seeds. And there are people who are gifted in reaping harvests. And in this work, both we need seed sowers and we need harvesters for sure. But I want to focus on why we have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you, I think it's six principles here about the work of the Holy Spirit in our outreach. Principle number one is this. The Holy Spirit must lead us to the people He has prepared to hear at the right time. The Holy Spirit prepares a harvest and He prepares a worker to go to that harvest and the Holy Spirit has to set up the entire thing. The Holy Spirit, we must trust Him to lead us to people who are prepared to hear. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10, is a classic example of this. After Paul and his team had been so successful in a place called Philippi, and they finished their work there, and they had no direct leading to go anywhere else. And they found themselves in this funny position of of having gifts, having something to preach, but no people to preach to, or no place to go, and they didn't know what to do. And when you read Acts chapter 6, verses 6 to 10, it says they tried different things. They tried to go to a place called Bithynia, but your Bible says, and read it for yourself, that the Spirit wouldn't allow them to go to Bithynia. Now, I ask you this question. Doesn't God want people in Bithynia saved? But the Holy Spirit closed the door and said, No. Then they tried to go to a place called Mysia, and again, the Spirit of God was responsible for saying, No. Now, you and I can come up with great plans. Let's do our missions. Let's do our outreach. Let's go here. Let's go there and and, and set up teams and do fundraisers and all that. Maybe the Holy Spirit says, No. He has to direct the work himself. And then finally, when they were seeking God and they were praying for what they should do and how they should go about what God had called them to do, then Paul has a vision in the night. And there was somebody from Macedonia in this dream, this vision, that he says, come over and help us. And they put all the clues together and said, okay, God has called us to go over to Macedonia. And that's where they went. But the Holy Spirit had to direct where to go and when to go. Another story is in Acts chapter 8. The story of Philip, one of the seven deacons, if we would call them that. One of the seven, a friend of Stephen, 
who, when the church was scattered out of Jerusalem, the persecution, he went into this place called Samaria. And if you read chapter 8 of the book of Acts, he seemed to walk right in to a ready-made revival. How many would like to go into a city somewhere, start preaching, and the whole city gets saved? Anybody like that scenario? He just walked into it without preparation. They didn't pray for this. They didn't plan for it. He was there because of persecution. He was driven there by forces not of his own doing. This was not planned. And he went into Samaria, and there is a city-wide revival. And you read it in your Bible, it says, And there was great joy in that city. When the people saw the miracles that were done in the name of Jesus, they believed about the name of Jesus. They believed about the kingdom of heaven and there was great joy in that city it was a place that was prepared for Philip to show up now do you know why it was prepared because a few years prior to that a few years prior to that by divine appointment Jesus met a woman at a well remember the story And with great prophetic skill, he brings that woman to saving faith in himself. She is so revolutionized that she goes out and tells everybody back in her village what had happened to her. And many people believed on Jesus, not simply because of what this woman said, but they ended up hearing Jesus for himself. And there's a short visitation that Jesus had there. But time-wise and culturally-wise, the Jews were not ready to deal with Samaritans. But the seed had been sown. And they had experienced in their history, just a few years ago, they had experienced a real demonstration of the power of God when Jesus visited that city and made them hungry. And then when Philip comes in mentioning this name Jesus, they said, well, we know that name. And it was a city that was prepared to hear. So principle number one, the Holy Spirit has to lead us where he wants us to go and at what time he wants us to go there. It has to be of the Spirit. So that's why Paul would ask for prayer, like in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, He would ask for prayer. He says, pray for us that God would open to us a door for the word. That God would show us where to go open to us the door. The second principle, why we are so dependent upon the Holy Spirit in all our outreach is this. That the Holy Spirit wants to confirm the message of the kingdom with miracles. I'll say that again. Even a casual reading of the Gospels and a casual reading of the book of Acts, you can come to no other conclusion. The Holy Spirit will confirm the message of the kingdom with miracles. Because the message we bring is that the kingdom of heaven has arrived. The authority of God, the rule of God, the power of God has invaded human history, has invaded time. And he's making himself known in power. Amen. Therefore, the Holy Spirit wants to confirm his message through miracles. 
in my own experience, and I'm not an evangelist by calling. It's not my first, it's not my first gifting that God has given me. But in all of my years of experience, I have discovered when you're dealing with unsaved people, to offer, to take them by the hand and pray for them, not in a sinner's prayer, but just let me pray for a situation in your life, you will discover that miracles happen much easier. Why? Because God wants to demonstrate His authority to unsaved people. I'll say that again. God wants to demonstrate His authority to unsaved people. In case you didn't hear it. God wants to demonstrate His authority to unsaved people. Amen. The gospel doesn't just go out in word only. When Jesus preached his message, his main theme was that the kingdom of heaven, the rule and the authority of God, has invaded the domain of the earth, and he demonstrated the, uh, the authenticity of his message by the miraculous. That is impossible to ignore in reading the scriptures. Matthew 4.23, Matthew 9.35 say the same thing. That Jesus went everywhere in all the villages in the city preaching the message of the kingdom of heaven and when he was doing it, he was healing the sick and he was casting out demons as the credentials of his message. That's what he did. The message is not a choice between word or deed. Preaching the gospel includes both. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 begins with this. Of all the things Jesus began to both do and teach. The ministry of Jesus was not just teaching and it was not just doing. It was doing and teaching as he ministered the kingdom. Romans 15, verses 18 and 19. Listen to Paul's. I know I've used this verse, but forgive me for the repetition, but it's important that we catch it. Romans 15, 18 and 19. Paul's attitude of going out in missions around the world was this. I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. Listen to this. In word and deed. Not just preaching, but in word and in deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul says, when I'm going out, it's with word and in demonstration of power, and I will not dare to do it any other way. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, his testimony when he came to the city of Thessalonica, he says, Our gospel did not just come in word only, but it also came in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. Did we not read in Mark chapter 16 already, Go into all the world and preach the gospel, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Did we not read that already? 1 Corinthians 4.20, Paul says to those who want to oppose him in ministry, he says, you're full of talk, but he says, don't you know that the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. It's in power. 
Unsaved people need two things. They need an encounter with the truth, and they need an encounter with the power. It's truth encounter and it's power encounter. A miracle healing, a supernatural touch of the Holy Spirit has the power to open the door of a person's heart. Make it receptive to the word of the Lord. How can we read through the New Testament and come to any other conclusion? The fact is this, the minds of unbelievers are under the control of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says the God of this world blinds the minds of people so that they believe not and they can't respond to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5 says we have to cast down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Taking every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. Because when we preach the gospel there is a war going on in people's hearts and a war going on in people's minds. And there's a power that controls their minds, whether they realize it or not, that's rooted in the evil one of this world. Whether they know it or they don't know it, that is the fact. And those need to be demolished. The Holy Spirit has to lead us when and where. We must trust God to demonstrate the miraculous. The third principle is this, is that the Holy Spirit is the one who will speak through us. Preaching is not natural ability. Nobody is going to be once the Lord because you have a clever argument. No one's going to be once the Lord because you can prove the reasonableness of believing. The human heart is far more deceitful than that. They can know the truth and still reject it. People are one to the Lord because the Holy Spirit penetrates their hearts. The Holy Spirit has got to penetrate their hearts. I believe preaching, especially people call it gospel preaching, is a gift from God. You can't hire a person to be what they're not gifted to be. Preaching to unsaved people is a gift It's a special gift, it's a calling, and it's an anointing. You can't imitate it. No matter how good you might be in public speaking, you can't imitate it. If you got the gift, people get saved in announcements. If you don't have the gift, you could be excellent in speech and totally non-effective. It's a gift. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 And again, you've heard me say these verses, but I'm going to say them again. When Paul went to the city of Corinth, he made a decision. Now, Paul was an eloquent man. Paul was a clever man. Paul had degrees behind his name. Paul was fluent in at least three languages that we know of by reading the New Testament. But he made this statement when he went to the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was 600,000 people. And history tells us in the space of 18 months, that's a year and a half, in the space of 18 months, you don't read this in your Bible, but you do read it in history, in the space of 18 months out of 600,000 people, 60,000 
came to the Lord in the space of 18 months. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good. Why? Because he made this decision. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, 1 Corinthians. Brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. As a matter of fact, I determined not to know anything among you except one thing, a foolish message, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Personally, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with persuasive words of human wisdom. But, listen to this, my speech and my preaching was a demonstration of the Spirit. A demonstration of the power of God. So that when you respond, I don't want you to respond because of the wisdom of men. You need to respond because in the preaching you encountered the power of God. Is that not it? Is that not it? And I believe this ability to preach, what we call gospel preaching, my understanding of Scripture, that is really a manifestation of one of the gifts of the Spirit called the Word of Wisdom. I believe the Word of Wisdom is a preaching ability to persuade people to see their life from God's point of view. Their eyes are open, their conscience is pricked, the Spirit of God speaks inside their heart, and they can see things from God's point of view. Whether the person's eloquent or not makes no difference. It's the presence of the Spirit. It's the manifestation of the gift of the Spirit that causes that to happen into people. I believe that's what a word of wisdom is, but that's another time to teach why I believe that. When Paul was speaking to the Corinthians about speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues and prophecy, notice what he says about when the Holy Spirit speaks through the gift of prophecy, what that does to unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 14, 24-25, he says, An unbeliever comes in and you're all prophesying. And there's an unbeliever and an uninformed person comes in. Listen to this. Through the prophecy, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. I've seen that happen. I thank God that I've been privileged to work with, over the years, powerful prophetic ministries. You know, there's a phrase, he read my mail. Just knew everything about me. Total stranger but able to rehearse. I remember with my father in the Lord seeing this happen so many times. And I remember a man who was about 60 years of age who had just recently got saved through Full Gospel Business Spends, a a banquet. Recently got saved and and he came up for a ministry and, and, and Jack just began to prophesy and said, I see an eight-year-old boy. And he began to describe this eight-year-old boy, where he was standing, even some straw in his mouth, chewing and leaning on the fence out in the field, looking up into a sky. He said, God, are you really there? And memories 
that only this guy had known from some 50 years earlier than that. Walk through his whole life, just by the Spirit of God, just walk through his entire whole life until where he was at now, just getting saved, and then what God wants to do with him in the future. His whole life was supernaturally revealed by the gift of prophecy. I tell you, that opens people up to the Lord. That opens people up to the things of God. There is so much more for us to press into. Amen? So much more for us to press into. And that's why Paul, again, would ask for prayer in Ephesians 6, verses 19 and 20. He says, Since this preaching is not natural skill, but it itself is a demonstration of the Spirit of God, he says, Pray for me that utterance would be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador ambassador in change, that I might speak it boldly. Now, Paul, by nature, as you know, was an eloquent man, a well-educated Pharisee, fluent in at least three languages, yet he would never trust himself to natural abilities. He says, i got to speak as the Spirit gives utterance. I've got to speak as the Spirit gives utterance. Folks, for that to happen, (laughs) obviously requires a lot of waiting on the Lord, a lot of prayer, a lot of time in the Scripture, a lot of time on your knees, a lot of time before God seeking His presence in His heart, in His will. Because preaching is not a simple matter of coming up with a three-point sermon and keep it simple for the unsaved people who know nothing. It's not that. Preaching is hearing from God. Amen. Preaching is first hearing from God. And then trusting the Holy Spirit to minister through you as a vessel through whom he may express himself. It takes a lot of yielding and true preaching is just you pouring out of your innermost being that which God has birthed in you by revelation. That's true preaching. God has to pour it into you first, and then you have to learn to release it and yield it and pour it out. Sometimes people can preach on the spot without any preparation whatsoever. There's times in the scripture where it's very supernatural. You don't know what you're going to say, but somehow the Spirit is just there, and it's like a balloon. You just blow up on the inside, and you've got to share it, and it's no premeditation whatsoever, and you're amazed. I said, boy, I can, didn't know I could preach so good was nothing of you whatsoever. On other hands, there are some times that the burden and the word of the Lord comes to you over a long period of time. A lot of reflection, a lot of thinking, a lot of waiting upon God, and you marinate, it marinates on, in, on the inside of you, and you soak in it, and you soak in it, and you soak in it, and you soak in it. And then the day comes when you can release it. But either way it happens, it's got to be of God. A word of wisdom is a supernatural gift. Preaching is not natural ability. It has to be a manifestation of the Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Peter describes it this way. He says, They reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That's how it is. The gospel is preached by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
The fourth principle about why we need to lean into the Spirit is this, because you and I convict nobody of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to love people, not to condemn people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. John 16, verses 17 and 18. Jesus, I've got to leave. If I don't leave, the Helper, the Comforter won't come. But when He comes, I'll send Him to you. When He comes, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit does that. You and I can't. Amen? That is the work of the Holy Spirit. All the greatest arguments in the world are of no avail if the Holy Spirit doesn't penetrate the hard heart. You and I cannot convict. It is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to show compassion, to show love, and to show mercy. God, the Holy Spirit, He's the one that will knock at their hearts about what they're doing. He's the one who convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The fifth reason we need to lean into the Holy Spirit is because only the Holy Spirit can reveal Jesus to other people. Have you ever tried to make someone to see what only the Holy Spirit can reveal? The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals Jesus. John 16:14 says about the Spirit, He will glorify me. And He will take what is mine and He will declare it to you. The truth is this, the Bible teaches us that the natural mind cannot, for those taking notes, that's C-A-N-N-O-T, cannot, the natural mind cannot grasp the things of God. Argue all you want, the natural mind is not going to get it. The natural mind cannot grasp the things of God, for the things of God are spiritually apprehended. It is the Holy Spirit that can take a historic Jesus that we read about in our Bibles, and somehow, by some supernatural act, that historic Jesus of the Gospels becomes present right here, right in this room, tangible to our senses, alive to us right here and right now, and it's the Holy Spirit that brings Jesus to us. The natural mind doesn't get it. They have to be spiritually apprehended. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 13 says about the things of God. God reveals them to us through His Spirit. It's the Spirit that searches all things, the deep things of God. But not in the words of man's wisdom, but in the words which the Holy Spirit teaches. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring revelation of Jesus to people. That's why we need to lean into the Holy Spirit. And the sixth thing is this. It's the Holy Spirit that will impart faith for people to respond. The Holy Spirit, by getting into people's hearts, bursts faith in them to respond. You all know Romans 10.17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The context of Romans um, chapter 10 is not claiming this or claiming that. The context of Romans 10 is going out and preaching the gospel. And as the gospel is preached, as the word is preached, what happens in the hearts of people 
is that faith is supernaturally imparted into them when they can hear the word of God. In other words, faith to be saved is given to people by the Holy Spirit. No amount of argument is going to do it. Faith to respond has to come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates faith in people to cause them to respond. I've been privileged and been able to hear over the years, decades now, a variety of preachers of all makes and shapes and kinds and colors and giftings and so on. I remember once listening to a man who had a, a supernatural gift of faith. He could preach, and when he preached, faith was just bursting people. It was just, don't know how to explain it, but you almost felt like a tide getting underneath you and actually lifting you up, and it almost a sense of elevation as if I was being raised up out of my chair. And just a supernatural faith just did that and just raised me up. And I remember, this, this sounds so foolish, but it was so real to me as I sensed faith just rising up within me um, that I wish I was in a wheelchair just so I can get out of it. <laughs> you know, that sounds funny. But, 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 but the sense of something on the inside just rising and rising and rising and everything was going to be swept away by that faith that was rising in my heart. There's nothing that could stand in front of that. And I, I was perfectly well, but I kind of just wish that one time I could have been in a wheelchair just so I can get up. I don't know how to describe that. But the Holy Spirit imparts faith to people. Amen. The Holy Spirit imparts faith to people. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't impart it, all the arguing in the world I'm going to do isn't going to do any good. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere in the New Testament, faith is always spoken of as a gift. The ability to believe and the ability to lean on God comes from the Holy Spirit. So what's my conclusion here? We need to be people of the Spirit. The task we have been asked to do is beyond us. Completely beyond us. The good news, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, makes statements like this. We have been made sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. We have been made ministers of the Spirit, because it's the Spirit that gives life. Listen to this. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are transformed in the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. What takes a person from their old life and grants them a new and a vital existence in Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit. When you read your New Testament, it's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies people. It's the Holy Spirit that gives birth. It's the Holy Spirit that washes. It's the Holy Spirit that cleanses. It's 
the Holy Spirit that renews. It's the Holy Spirit that breaks addictions of old habits. It's the Holy Spirit that takes the desire for old habits right out of people's hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that puts the desire for true righteousness. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers for righteousness. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us a sense of the very presence of God. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us for service. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the adoption and so on and so on and so on the Holy Spirit is the realm in which all ministry takes place there is no alternative that's why Jesus said to his disciples before they went out I'm sending you but tarry but tarry until you are endued with power from on high I hope you never get tired of me saying that we all need to have a continuous and a lavish encounter with the Holy Spirit. Continuously filled with the Spirit of God and learn to take risks trusting Him. You want it in guaranteed writing first? Forget it. He's given you His promise. Take risks in stepping out of the boat and start walking on water and take risks leaning into the Holy Spirit. We don't labor according to our own abilities. We labor according to His supernatural ability. As I bring this to a close, you remember when Jesus began His public ministry? In Nazareth that day, He read from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He's anointed me. To do what? Now listen, anointed to do what? Can you do these things without the anointing? That's going to be my question. We read this, what Jesus did. Can you and I do these things without the anointing? He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He's anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's anointed me to give recovery of sight to the blind. He's anointed me to set at liberty those that are oppressed. He's anointed me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Those things happen because of the anointing. Without the anointing, it's theory that doesn't penetrate people's lives. Isaiah 10.27, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. It's the anointing. Have you noticed the world out there is a sick place? Under the veneer of respectability, people's lives are in messes. Have you ever encountered the world in which the majority of the population lives? Have you seen the effects of sin and its ruin in people's lives? Even a casual acquaintance with the lost society out there will reveal the utter confusion total disorientation, a complete sense of being engulfed in absolute hopelessness. That's what's outside these doors. The whole world is under the power of evil and under the influence of the evil one. But, I like those buts, we have a message. I'll try that again. But, We have a message. And that message is that the God who showed up in the book of Exodus to set 
Israel free from the bondage of over 430 years is the same God who's appeared in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the same God who has poured out the Holy Spirit to accomplish the same ends. Amen? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. How are we going to bring healing to those who are oppressed of the devil? It is not through clever arguments, it's through the anointing. It's through the presence of God, it's through the Spirit of God. That's what it does. Ask you these questions. What do you do? How deep and how wide is your experience? What do you do with people who have seen demons since they were young? In this very city. If you come across them, what do you do with them? They came to you for help, what are you going to do with them? What do you do with them? How do you break the cycle of dysfunctional living for those who grew up with abuse? Emotional abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. What do you do with them? Have them a sinner's prayer and leave them on to themselves for the rest of their lives? What do you do with them? What do you do with people who think they're homosexual? What do you do with them? How do you minister to people who are broken in their heart? How are the deep wounds and the scars of a heart actually healed? How do bruised emotions get healed? How is anger and bitterness driven out of people's hurting hearts? How are people set free from addictions and habits? How are oppressed souls set free? How are dysfunctional people made whole? How is the demonic stronghold in people's minds overthrown and overcome? How are sick bodies healed? And how do you cast out demons anyway? How is hope restored to devastated hearts? How is it that people can know and experience love for the first times in their lives? How does the kingdom of God break into people's lives? There's one answer. The Spirit. All these things happen by the anointing. Not skill, anointing. Not human wisdom, anointing. Not clever planning, anointing. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, you know the kingdom's come. The activity of the Spirit is how the power of the kingdom invades Sin sick hearts, the activity of the Spirit. Very quickly, Second Thessalonians two thirteen to people who lived heathen, adulterous lives before their conversion, it says you're sanctified by the Spirit. First Corinthians six nine to eleven. People who in their former life were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. (laughs) It's quite a list, isn't it? But he says, that's how you were. But something happened to you. You were washed. And you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit. This world needs to experience the power of God by the, in the Holy Spirit. That's our thing. The Holy Spirit, the Scripture tells us how to do it. It's a supernatural ministry of the Spirit. 
God anoints, God gives gifts to accomplish these ends. The Spirit of God communicates the love of God to bleeding souls. The Spirit of God reveals the all-sufficiency of Jesus for their every need. The Spirit of God sweeps them into the very presence of God. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Two more verses, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceeding, abundantly above, all that we ask or think. The task you and I have been given to do is above us. Beyond us. Not possible. But I know somebody who can do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we could ask. I can't get any higher. Or think. But listen to how he finishes that verse. According to the power that works in us. According to the power. We want to see God doing exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. It's according to the power that's in us. That's called the anointing. It's the presence of the Spirit. And then Colossians 1 verses 27 to 29 is my last verse. I'm preaching a message, Paul says. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. We preach about this Christ, the hope of glory. We warn every man and we teach every man in all wisdom. Our goal is to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. It's quite a thing. Not, my goal is not to bring people to decisions. My goal is to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's discipleship. My goal is to present every man perfect in that day. Wow. How am I going to do that? Let me finish the verse. It says, To this end I also labor, but according to his working, which works in me mightily. According to the working of God that works in me mightily. Forgive me for the repetition. We need to be people of the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Worship in the Spirit. Sing in the Spirit. Press into the things of God. And keep waiting on God. And keep waiting upon And waiting on God. And waiting on God. Because the task ahead of us is not within our ability. It's a supernatural task. But God has given us the supernatural Holy Spirit. Let us be people of the Spirit and keep pressing in and pressing in and pressing in to the things of the Spirit of God.